This podcast is made possible with collaboration and input from the LinkedIn Digital Transformation Group with reference to Google News and Wikipedia. Struggling to solve a problem. Try reframing it. Experts in problem solving emphasize the importance of deeply understanding the problem before implementing countermeasures. And many cite Charles Kettering's maxim that a problem well-framed is a problem half-solved. But what, precisely, is a well-framed problem? I've written before about some of the obvious errors to avoid, couching a solution in the form of a problem, and relying on generalities instead of specifics. However, if you're still struggling to generate effective solutions, you might change the way you've phrased it. Word choice matters. Specifically, you need to pay careful attention to how you phrase the subject of the problem statement and the way you're measuring the problem. Full disclosure, as a college English major and former high school English teacher, I'm predisposed to focus on the power of language. But this isn't just a matter of quibbling over semantics. These two considerations will set the trajectory of how you solve the problem. A small change in subject or measurement can lead you to an entirely different set of countermeasures, just as a small change in angle will send a satellite hurtling into outer space instead of useful orbit. What's the subject? The leaders at a company I've worked with have long been frustrated by their lack of progress in creating a culture of continuous improvement. Many employees participate in the company's Six Sigma Green Belt program and complete one project but only about 1% of them do a second project for a yellow belt. So how should the company's leaders frame the problem? Consider these three problem statements. 1. Only 1% of our green belts go on to do a second project. 2. Our managers don't nurture a culture of continuous improvement. 3. Our company only completes 10 yellow or black belt projects each year. All three capture the same basic issue affecting the company, it's not getting as many improvement projects as the leadership team wants, but the phrasing of each makes an important difference in how you approach the problem. The first problem statement puts the focus on the green belt employees. We look at their motivations and their choices. The second problem statement puts the focus on the managers. It causes us to look into how managers decide what needs to be done in their areas. The third considers on the company as a whole, what's assigned a high priority, how resources are allocated, and what kind of work is recognized and rewarded. The shift in focus leads to different kinds of countermeasures. If you focus on the employees, for example, you might change the performance evaluation and compensation system to encourage them to take on more projects. If you focus on the managers, you might coach them on the need to provide time for their team to take on additional work not directly related to their core responsibilities. If you focus on the company, we'd likely get the CEO to reconsider how much time she expects employees to spend on improvement, develop a KPI to support project completion, and increase the visibility and esteem of successful project completion. How do you measure the problem? Let's say the problem you're dealing with is similar to the example above, your business isn't innovating enough. Here are three possible ways to state the problem. 1. We're not as innovative as our competitors. 2. We only bring one new product service to market each year. 
3. Only 5% of our revenue comes from products developed in the past three years. The first problem statement is vague and poorly defined. Even so, it leads you to an inquiry into the measurement. How do you measure innovation? How do your competitors measure it? Are you measuring the number of new products and services, or the value or revenue of those new products and services? If you only bring one new product to market each year, but it's always a home run, does it matter? Is quality more important than quantity? What metrics are your competitors using? The second problem statement leads you to investigate the process by which innovations are brought to market, as well as the culture around innovation. How many new ideas died in committee? What criteria are used to determine whether or not to bring something new to the market? Are people afraid to fail, or do you have an environment that rewards risk-taking? Do people get credit for innovation, or attempted innovation, or do the highest-ranking people typically get the credit? The third one leads you to consider the pricing, promotion, and placement of new products and services. Perhaps your innovation engine is purring smoothly, but the sales and marketing function lacks the skills and experience to leverage something new. The sales team at one company I worked with is uncomfortable bringing out new designs. They rely heavily on older items they are more comfortable selling, and as a result, don't give the new products a fair chance to establish themselves in the market. To be clear, there's nothing wrong with any of the frames for these problems. They all serve a purpose. However, it's important to recognize that the words you choose have a tremendous impact on both the trajectory of your problem-solving efforts and the countermeasures you land on. So next time you're faced with a problem, and perhaps you're struggling to find a solution, try rewriting the statement by either changing the subject or how you're measuring the problem you'll likely find that a small change of words can lead to a big change in your perspective. A message from our sponsor, Anchor.fm. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me tell you here how it works. It's free, you can register free online. Just go to anchor.fm and register. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or desktop computer, that's how easy it is. Anchor will also help to distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and many more other platforms. You can also generate income from your podcast, with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast, all in one place. Now, you can download the Anchor apps from the Apple Store or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast, thanks again. What pandemic parenting can teach us about leadership? An executive coaching client of Sanyin's recently made an offhand comment that revealed something stunning about parenting over the past year. A busy executive with three kids and an equally busy working spouse, she quipped, who knew my kitchen would turn into my executive coach. When Sanyin asked what she meant, she listed a litany of experiences from around her kitchen table, keeping her kids creatively engaged in their school activities while planning a meal and while, on the other side of the room, 
her laptop was logged into a virtual strategy session with her team. She reflected, what I had to learn this past year to keep all my worlds integrated was a crucible I'd never wish on anyone. I know I had it better than many working parents. But I gained some new skills that will serve me well going forward. As professionals who spend a great deal of time coaching and advising busy executives, we got a first-hand look last year not just at our clients' work leadership, but at their home leadership as well. For many of us, the two arenas have become almost indistinguishable. We found ourselves offering as much advice about creative ways to keep things on track on the home front as we did coaching leaders on their effectiveness and organizational strategies. As it turns out, the merging of those worlds created an intensified leadership accelerator none of us expected. There's no silver lining to the strife of the pandemic, but as millions of parents ready for a return to the office, there are four key lessons we can all take back with us about leading our teams and how we show up. Use peer data to hone quick decision-making skills. One leader Sanyin works with has three elementary-aged children. When schools shut down abruptly, back in March 2020, she and 63 million other parents had to pivot quickly to new arrangements. Since then, decisions like that have been required almost daily. And parents often had to make them on very short notice and with very little data, facing the reality that decisions made in the moment can have significant long-term implications. Because more data about the situation wasn't always available, parents broadened their options set through peer data. Talking to other busy WFH parents and learning what they were doing and why helped them navigate the unknown. Back at the office, Many situations lack sufficient situational data and demand a quick response. Some leaders are paralyzed by limited information or rely heavily on personal intuition or excessive consensus seeking. Draw on your experience seeking peer data by asking fellow leaders what they've done in similar situations. Broaden your network of executive peers within and outside your organization who can serve as thought partners and perspective providers to strengthen and accelerate your existing decision-making process. Learn how to serial task. Parents were forced to wear many hats simultaneously, often outnumbered by their various responsibilities and the number of kids they were caring for, they could easily feel overwhelmed. Jumping from one frustrated child to the next while keeping Zoom meetings running in the background often left parents depleted and kids feeling neglected. Though we've known for years that multitasking is unhealthy for our brains and is rarely productive, the pandemic proved it definitively. One leader Ron Works with learned about the Pomodoro technique, a form of interval training for the brain. The technique is simple, work in hyperproductive, low disruption, 20-minute bursts. Very rarely could parents find an uninterrupted hour during the workday to dedicate to a task or a child, but as this leader reflected, 20 minutes usually felt manageable. I could ask a child to wait or squeeze in a Zoom call during my kids' virtual gym class. Focusing for 20 minutes at a time became my goal. Usually, I was able to meet it. For leaders still working in hybrid environments, the demands of moving from task to task and video screen to video screen may not abate. 
rather than resort to the unproductive, brain-draining defaults of texting and emailing during meetings, turning off the camera so that you can fold laundry or eat lunch during a business review, or ordering groceries while completing your monthly financials, chunk your time into short bursts that allow your brain's natural ability to concentrate on one thing to flourish without interruption. This will be infinitely more productive than a day of haphazard multitasking. Manage a diverse team. Parents with more than one child were forced to learn quickly that you can't parent everyone the same way. They got front row seats to their children's various learning styles, motivations, and responses to feedback. To make things work, they had to adapt to the needs of each child while keeping the broader cohesion of the family unit in mind. Paying attention to each child's emotional and learning needs while preserving the larger family relationships was an art learned on the fly. As leaders, we're perpetually juggling the needs of the team against those of its individual members. Balancing the shared commitments and goals of the team while adjusting to the unique needs, strengths, and learning gaps of individuals allows each person to shine while making sure the team as a whole remains paramount. As you see your team in a fresh light back at the office, remember that its members have grown and changed over the past 18 months. Take the time to learn who they've become and how you can best support them now. And interrogate any one-size-fits-all approaches to leadership you may have thought worked in the past, upgrading to more nuanced methods to maximize individual needs while keeping your team whole. Trade perfectionism for compassion. For many high-performing leaders driven to achieve the best results, the pandemic was a crash course in answering the question, what really counts as good? One leader Sanyin works with remarked, some days were better than others. Success meant getting all my meetings in, getting the kids through their schoolwork, and getting the lawn cut. Other days, just getting out of bed was a heroic feat, learning to have more reasonable and malleable standards has been an important shift for him. He said, It's not that I've lowered my standards, I still want to reach for the gold. But I now understand that there are trade-offs to consider on the way to gold. Sometimes my kids needed more help than I expected to give them. Sometimes I was so exhausted that I stared at a screen for an hour during a Zoom meeting and couldn't tell you what we discussed. I now have much greater empathy for the full lives everyone on my team is leading. And I'm more compassionate with myself when I fall short of my own standards. Clearly, this leader has learned to reflect on his limitations in a new way. If your perfectionism gets the best of you, ask yourself, why am I trying to operate outside the bounds of those limits? Why do I conflate success with stretching my limits? Eliminating some of the work, a life boundary, has forced many of us to be more honest about what we can and cannot do. Consider the impact on those you lead if you were to be more empathic, giving yourself and them permission to say what you need and to do your best work with an honest acknowledgement of limitations. We tell our children, just do your best. As leaders, do we show ourselves and those we lead the same grace? It doesn't mean ignoring when someone hasn't done their best, people need honest feedback to improve. But sometimes, best, should be contextualized into a broader set of circumstances. And best will rarely mean perfect for us or those we lead. 
How liberating would it be to accept that fact? As you prepare to return to the office, reflect on these tumultuous 18 months and ask yourself, what did I learn or get better at that I hadn't expected to? How can those lessons benefit those I lead? None of us would choose to repeat the heartache of the pandemic. But it did yield invaluable leadership lessons we shouldn't leave behind. Consider opening your first in-person team meeting with, so, I've been reflecting on my leadership and on what the pandemic taught me. Here's what I've learned and how I hope to lead you better. We promise you'll have the most attentive audience ever. Top Digital Banking Transformation Trends for 2021 When the pandemic hit, most financial institutions entered a crisis mode of building digital capabilities that allowed consumers to the bank without branches. As we enter 2021, banks and credit unions must rethink the definition of digital banking, with the application of data, analytics, technology, innovation and people that will transform customer experiences. As we look back on 2020, Financial institutions should be proud of the way the industry responded to a crisis that wasn't on any organization's radar. Faced with immediate branch closures, and the need to create digital capabilities ranging from end-to-end -end digital account opening and lending capabilities to PPP small business loans, many firms did things that once seemed impossible, sometimes in a matter of days. The ability to conduct business depended on how quickly banks and credit unions could respond to consumer needs, using technology to enable legacy systems and workforces to adapt to a new normal. The acceleration of digital transformation occurred across the entire banking ecosystem. But the transformation was not fast enough and is far from complete. Research from the Digital Banking Report found that financial institutions ranked themselves lower in digital transformation maturity this year than they did in 2019, reflecting consumer expectations that are increasing at a pace faster than our collective ability to deliver. The report also found that innovation and data-slash-analytics maturity in the banking industry also fell in 2020 for the same reason. Despite the pandemic being an everyday reality for every person and business, organizations cannot use this as an excuse to not push forward even further. New initiatives must be prioritized that can leverage data and analytics to improve the customer experience. Digital engagement must be improved, focusing on simplicity and speed far beyond what is currently provided. And, financial institutions must optimize the use of technology that is already in place. Every bank and credit union must embrace the digital banking transformation trends that are forthcoming in 2021, doubling down on the commitment to improving digital customer experiences as well as the internal processes, infrastructure, products, and personnel that will provide the foundation for future competitiveness. 1. Focus on digital banking experiences. Financial institutions will come under greater pressure to provide digital functionality that is both simple and fast. As opposed to new account opening or loan application processes that can be completed in 5 to 10 minutes or longer, organizations will focus on internal processes, procedures, and flow of data to enable completion in less than a minute to meet rising customer demands set by big tech organizations. In some cases, Financial institutions may separate their external presentation layer from their back-office data layer to create enhanced digital consumer experiences. An example of this shift is the Googleplex partnership with several financial institutions. 
Beyond enhanced account opening and the combination of checking and savings, the new service provides simple, seamless, and personalized digital engagement. The risk of not providing this level of customer experience will be the potential shift of new and existing businesses to organizations that have succeeded in rethinking legacy processes for a new digital reality. It's more than simplified account opening, it's an enhanced user experience, UX, across the entire customer journey. According to Forrester, organizations will work to determine what really matters to their customers, identify projects to improve important experiences, prioritize the efforts with the biggest potential upside for customers and the business, and then train their employees and give them new tools so that they can deliver the right experiences consistently. 2. Use of data and AI for predictive personalization. Financial marketers were thrust into the spotlight with a COVID crisis, needing to respond to unforeseen circumstances in an instant. Instead of selling services, marketers were being asked to customize communication to help customers deal with the financial impact of the pandemic. Blanket communication around branch closures quickly needed to transform to personalized messages around loan payment deferrals and how to use unfamiliar digital tools. The coming year will bring the next evolution of financial marketing, leveraging data and advanced analytics to provide predictive personalization. This use of AI and machine learning will result in tailored websites, real-time financial recommendations, and a level of test and learn capabilities far beyond what was imagined just a few years ago. For the vast majority of financial institutions, this level of personalization is playing a game of catch-up and meeting consumer expectations. Accenture found that nearly half, 48%, of consumers abandoned a purchase process when the website did not personalize the experience, with nearly all consumers, 91%, saying they are more likely to do business with brands that know, look out for them and reward them. Unfortunately, research by the Digital Banking Report found that 75% of financial institutions considered themselves not adept in using data and analytics to determine the next best action. Despite this performance gap, the accelerated growth in predictive personalization will be a key digital transformation trend for success in 2021. Using digital to solve staffing and traffic challenges As more people shift from banking in branches to banking online, financial institutions are faced with the challenge of delivering efficient, personalized service over digital channels. 3. Movement to Cloud Computing the movement to cloud computing has been slower than anticipated in the banking industry, mainly because of concerns around security and perceived accessibility for smaller institutions. With the importance of processing increasing amounts of data as quickly as possible, and the desire to provide increased accessibility to insights across organizations, the use of hybrid cloud infrastructures will escalate significantly in 2021. This embracing of cloud computing will be considered by financial institutions of all sizes in the coming year because of increased investment in scalable and industry-specific capabilities by IBM and other providers. These solutions standardize many of the cloud capabilities, eliminating much of the upfront investment previously required. These solutions also address issues like privacy, security, and compliance. According to Daniel Newman, a contributor to Forbes, the widespread, Sudden disruptions caused by the coronavirus have highlighted the value of having as agile and adaptable a cloud infrastructure as you can, especially as we are seeing companies around the world expedite investments in the cloud to enable faster change in moments of uncertainty and disruption like we faced in 2020. 4. Automation becomes a financial imperative. 
At a time when most financial institutions are concerned about the prospects of loan losses and the shrinking of revenues in a post-pandemic economy, the focus on automation and robotics seems natural. Robotic Process Automation RPA, can increase efficiency by providing a cost-effective substitute to human resources both in-house and outsourced. While still in its infancy, RPA provides the benefits of cost reduction. Increased efficiency, enhanced accuracy, improved customer experiences, and seamless flexibility. Similar to the movement to cloud computing, this trend is gaining momentum because of the influx of external providers who have leveraged lessons learned over time to provide scalable solutions at a reasonable cost to small and large organizations. Global Robotic Process Automation RPA, software revenue is projected to reach $1.89 billion in 2021, an increase of 19.5% from 2020 according to the latest forecast from Gartner Incorporated, despite economic pressures caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, the RPA market is still expected to grow at double-digit rates through 2024. 5. Investment in privacy and security escalates. While virtually all financial institutions state that improving the customer experience is the top corporate priority, the same organizations are increasing investment in privacy and security solutions more than in any other technology. The reason for this investment is clear. Not only are the risks of breaches increasing, but consumers are becoming much less tolerant of organizational mistakes. Cybersecurity and data privacy will become a unique selling proposition USP, for many financial institutions and big tech organizations. In an interview with the Banking Transformed podcast, David Birch believes consumers will be the ultimate owner of their identity, but that financial institutions will be the place the identities are maintained. In this scenario, consumers will manage access to their data residing on applications, the web, and other digital channels, with the burden of complying with increasingly stringent regulations being the responsibility of banks. While the EU has built regulations around privacy and security with the General Data Protection Regulation GDPR, this is only the beginning. 6. Redefined Future of Work Across the entire banking ecosystem, Financial institutions are rethinking the way work is done, where it is done, and the skills that will be required to do work going forward. What initially was remote collaboration necessitated by a global crisis, became more normalized as the pandemic extended from weeks to months and longer. More than ever, organizations realize the importance of flexibility, adaptability, self-sufficiency, and teamwork during the pandemic. Without the benefit of in-person engagement, financial institutions still needed to create, innovate and collaborate at a pace never before imagined. For the most part, there was a surprisingly high level of success. While upskilling was a priority for most financial institutions before the pandemic, it became a business imperative as organizations recognized the significant skills gap caused by the explosive shift of consumer engagement to digital channels. According to an excellent report by Udemy for Business, 38% of workforces have already been upskilled in 2020, compared to only 14% in 2019. Beyond reskilling, most observers do not foresee a return to traditional corporate office spaces in the near future. Not only has the pandemic failed to subside, but many organizations see remote work as part of the future as they try to find ways to reduce costs to better compete with digital organizations. 7. Open banking as a revenue opportunity. Most financial institutions see open banking as a technology that allows consumers to access data from multiple organizations, opening the door to innovative services through open APIs. 
According to Juniper Research, the number of open banking users is expected to double in size from 18 million in 2019 to more than 40 million users by 2021. Beyond the traditional view of open banking, there is the potential for exciting new services with revenue opportunities. New banking solutions, with seamless customer experience at the front end and multiple interconnected providers in the background, will become the norm in the near future. Some organizations are already having success with these new models. Both images from Kaisha Bank and Live from Emirates NBD are examples. According to Gartner, the API economy is an enabler for turning a business or organization into a platform. Platforms multiply value creation because they enable business ecosystems inside and outside of the enterprise to consummate matches among users and facilitate the creation and or exchange of goods, services and social currency so that all participants are able to capture value. Key Takeaways for Banking Organizations For digital banking transformation to be successful, there must be an alignment between all areas of an organization, starting at the top. Without a commitment of C-suite executives to the process of digital banking transformation, investments in technology will be wasted and customer experiences will suffer. The foundation of an organization's digital transformation journey must be around data, analytics, and technology, but the human element can't be ignored. An alignment between the CMO and CIO or CTO is imperative, but the entire organization must become comfortable with using the insights that are generated from AI and machine learning initiatives. This will require an upskilling of legacy skill sets and a change in legacy culture. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Please also support us by clicking the support button at our page anchor.fm forward slash Mayfors, M-A-I-F-O-R-S. That's all for today. Hope you enjoy the podcast. We will see you again in the next episode. Have a great day. Take care and stay safe.